turn in your copy of the Scriptures to Acts chapter 14. The bulletin says we'll be reading through verse 20. I made a change later in the week. Uh, We will be reading through verse 23. Acts chapter 14, beginning with verse 1. Now at Iconium they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So they remained for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord who bore witness to the word of His grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. When an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them, they learned of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lyconia, and to the surrounding country. And there they continued to preach the gospel. Now at Lystra there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking, and Paul, looking intently at him, and seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, Stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and began walking. And when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in Lyconian, The gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance to the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their garments and rushed out into the crowd, crying out, Men, why are you doing these things? We are also or we also are men of like nature with you, and we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In past generations <laughs> He allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways, yet he did not leave himself without witness. For he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Even with these words, they scarcely restrained the people from offering sacrifice to them. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered round him, he rose up and entered the city, and on the next day he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church, with prayer and fasting they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Let's pray. Lord, as we have read your word and now uh, as I anticipate uh, open my, opening my mouth to proclaim uh, the gospel of our Lord Jesus, I pray for your help, both for me and for my hearers, that you would be our teacher. For this is your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 
when I have some project or another uh, around the house, it is the practice of my wife and children to flee the home, or certainly to stay on the other side of the house and stay well away from me. Even the, the easiest projects typically take uh, me longer than they should, require multiple trips to Home Depot or to Lowe's, and they generally drive me to the breaking point. I've come to believe when it comes to home repair that nothing's ever easy. I believe the same thing about the extension and growth of God's kingdom. Nothing's ever easy. Every time it seems that the gospel takes two steps forward, there's always some set of circumstances or some persons that oppose it and drive it one step back. I know why nothing's easy for me when it comes to home repair, because basically I'm an ignorant klutz with a tool in my hand. But I don't fully understand why God doesn't pave the way for the preaching of the gospel, why He doesn't knock down every obstacle, why He doesn't open every door so that the gospel can be proclaimed with utmost freeness. And, um, and why he doesn't remove all these obstacles so that his kingdom continue, can continue to grow. This morning as we look at the scriptures, I want to take a few stabs at answering this question. Why God does not remove the obstacles. Why God allows opposition to his glorious gospel. By way of review, I want to um, just remind you where we are as we are working our way through the book of Acts. We took a week off for Easter, um, but we were, well, Paul and Barnabas, they are in the middle of their first missionary journey. Uh, they left Antioch in Syria. They sailed about 130 miles to the west, to the island of Malta. Then they traveled across the island. As they were going across the island, they were preaching the gospel. As they reached the other end of the the island, they caught a boat and sailed uh, essentially due north to Perga. Perga is in modern-day Turkey. And... Uh, from there, then, they set, set forth on foot up into the mountainous region, uh, and they traveled directly north, and they came to Antioch and Pisidia. Antioch and Pisidia is different from the Antioch in Syria. Antioch and Pisidia is in what we call now modern-day Turkey. Paul's long sermon in Acts 13 took place in this Antioch and Pisidia. Then they went from Antioch in Pisidia to Iconium. That brings us to today's uh, text. And they, they went there because they were driven out of the city of Antioch by the angry Jews. So, upon arriving in, in Iconium, Barnabas and Paul, in keeping with their typical strategy, went into the synagogue on Sabbath, on the Sabbath and were invited to address the congregation. Look at verse 1 in chapter 14. As they entered the Jewish synagogue, it says that they spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. This is good news. Things are happening. The gospel is spreading. 
But then look at verse 2. Look at the first word in verse 2. There's this ominous um, negative conjunction here. But the believer, but the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So immediately, as Jews and Greeks are coming to believe the gospel, immediately there is opposition. So then what did Paul and Barnabas do? They stayed in the city and they continued to uh, proclaim the gospel. And not only that, but God gave Paul and Barnabas the ability to do these miracles. To do these signs and wonders that accompanied their preaching. uh, So that uh, God himself, through these miracles that they were doing, could attest to the truthfulness of Paul and Barnabas uh, and their message. But again, we count, we encounter that word but. Um, but in verse 4, but the people of the city were divided. And so what's happened here is the whole city has now become engaged because Paul and Barnabas have been out doing these miracles in the streets. The whole city is engaged by the preaching of the gospel. But the city is divided, it seems, right down the middle. Half the city believes Paul and Barnabas and the gospel. The other half of the city does not. Finally, the unbelieving half of the population rises up and tries to stone Paul and Barnabas. So they fled from the city of Iconium and fled to Lystra. Can you see the pattern here? Every time the gospel gains a foothold, there's opposition. In other words, nothing's ever easy. Well, they fled to uh, Lystra. When they arrived there, they were presented with an opportunity to preach uh, Christ even before the Sabbath day had arrived because they met a man in verse 8 who had been crippled from birth. And so Paul began sharing Christ with this man. And when Paul saw that this man was believing the gospel, he saw an opportunity to widen widen the preaching of the gospel beyond this one man. He saw this man was coming to Christ, and so um, somehow God gave him the ability to know that, or to perceive that God would heal this person. So he he said to this man with a loud voice in the hearing, this reason he raised his voice so that everybody around could hear. He said with a loud voice, stand upright on your feet. And of course the man hopped up on his feet uh, like he had been walking uh, his entire life. And the large crowd who had gathered there uh, immediately were enthralled. But the principle of nothing nothing is ever easy reared its head again. Because the people began crying out, The gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. So they thought when uh, Paul did this miracle of healing this man, they thought, well... These are the gods. Uh, Barnabas is Zeus. Paul is Hermes because he was the chief speaker. He did most of the preaching. So the people then wanted to offer sacrifices to them. And this uh, unexpected turn of events gave Paul and Barnabas another opportunity to continue preaching the gospel. Uh, As they said, um, we are only men like you. 
don't worship these false gods. Worship the true and living God. And so they preach to them. But again, in verse 19, we encounter that word, but. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium. And having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. So, just as they have an opportunity to preach the gospel, these Jews from Iconium and Antioch arrive, stir up the people. They stone Paul and drag him out of the city. Now, here's one of the questions that has been turning over in my mind all week. Um, And that is, why didn't they stone Barnabas as well? Why did Paul, why was he the only one that was stoned? If you have any theories, I'd love to hear it because it's just been kind of turning over in my head. Another thing that's been turning over in my head in regard to verse 19 was, was Paul really dead when they stoned him or was he only knocked out? Personally, I've always believed that he was killed and then God raised him from the dead. But the more I've looked at the text uh, this week, I've begun to change my opinion that maybe he was just knocked out because it says they were supposing that he was dead. I guess it really doesn't matter uh, one way or another. Otherwise, the Bible would have made the issue clear. But the important thing is that Paul, after being stoned, got up and then went right back into the city in which he was stoned. Um, Then the next day he and Barnabas left uh, the city of Lystra and they went to the city of Derbe. There they preached the gospel and they made many disciples as a result of their preaching. We're not told whether they experienced any opposition. Verses 21 through 23, they began retracing their steps. These cities that we've mentioned, um, city in Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, Derby. These these cities were not far from each other. In fact, they were all along one of the more important trade routes in the ancient Near East. Um, and so, once they reached Derby, then they turned around and went back to the cities that they had previously been in. Where they went to Lystra, and then they went to uh, Iconium, and then they went to um, Antioch and Pisidia. And what they were doing was they were retracing their steps in order to encourage and build up and teach those disciples who had just come to Christ. This is in keeping with the Great Commission. You know the Great Commission. Go and make disciples, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Uh, And then it goes on. The second half of the Great Commission is teaching them to obey everything that Christ has taught us. So we are to make disciples and do an evangelism. And then we are to train the disciples to obey everything that Christ has commanded us. So they made disciples. Now they're retracing their steps and encouraging and teaching those disciples. And I plan to preach more on this pattern next week. What would they be teaching these disciples as they retrace their steps, as they go back and meet with these disciples who have just only uh, recently come to Christ. We would expect them to focus on Christ himself and on living by faith. We'd also expect them to teach the essentials of Christianity um, as they met with these uh, 
Christians whom they had earlier led to Christ. But there are really two things that the the text tells us that they emphasized in verses 21 through 23. So listen to these verses. When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they believed. Verse 23, they appointed uh, elders to lead the fledgling church and then in verse 22 they encouraged them to continue in the faith because we only enter into the kingdom of God through many uh, tribulations. If you will allow me to paraphrase uh, what Paul and Barnabas were teaching them. He was simply, he was, they were essentially saying, stick with Christ, even though nothing's ever easy. Even though you're going to receive uh, opposition, stick with Christ. Here we have in these cities, brand new Christians who are being led by elders who themselves are brand new Christians. You'd think that God would protect them. You'd think that God would nurture them along slowly. Uh, But instead, they experienced persecution and hardship. They had to flee from the cities in which they were living, verses uh, 6 and 7 tell us, because of the hardship and the persecution. By way of conclusion, let me attempt to answer um, this question that I raised at the beginning of the sermon. And I want to look at a few uh, verses of Scripture. And the question that I raised, in case you've forgotten, is I asked earlier, why, does, why doesn't God pave the way? Why doesn't He knock down obstacles? Why doesn't He open doors when it comes to the proclamation of the gospel and the growth of His kingdom? And then the related question is, why does He allow His children to suffer hardship and persecution? So a few verses, and then we'll be done. Philippians 1, 29 and 30 says, For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe on Him, but also to suffer for Him. Since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. Suffering and conflict are unavoidable for the Christian who wants to grow in Christ and spread His kingdom. Paul said, it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ to suffer for Him. The suffering might take many different forms. It might be that you would have to sacrifice wealth and easiness of life to follow Christ. It may come from unforeseen circumstances like sickness or an accident. It may come from pressure applied from loved ones who think that you're just a little too carried away with your Christianity. It may come from other people who simply oppose you because you are a Christian. Who knows where it will come from or what form it will take. But we can be certain because it has been granted to us to suffer. We know that the suffering, the hardship, the conflicts, the difficulties will come. 
Ephesians verses 6, I'm sorry, Ephesians chapter 6 verses 11 and 12 says, Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. The Bible affirms spiritual warfare. Any time the gospel begins to thrive, whether in your life personally or whether through your life or through the ministry of the church out in the community, there will be resistance because there is an unseen spiritual battle that is taking place. So we know that we face um, hardship and persecution because it has been granted on a, for us to suffer on behalf of Christ also because there is spiritual warfare. James verses uh, 2 through 4 also gives us another reason why we suffer and why we face opposition uh, when we want to spread the gospel. James 1, 2 through 4 says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. In other words, trials, our sufferings, hardship, persecution... These things are blessings from God that God sends into our lives to help us grow spiritually. So how should we respond to the suffering, the hardship, the persecution, the conflict? Our response should be one of joy. Consider it pure joy, my brothers. And then as you rejoice and thank God for those trials, then you are to persevere in your faith and thereby grow in your faith. Second Corinthians chapter 1 verses 8 and 9 says, We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about the hardships we suffered in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, in our hearts we felt the sentence of death. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. In other words, this is another little angle through which we can look at our suffering and hardship. God sends hardship, even incredible, unbearable hardship. Paul despaired even of his life, his suffering was so great. He sends these things into our lives sometimes so that we might not rely on ourselves, but we might rely on God. God does not want us to try and grow personally or try and grow His kingdom in our own strength. He wants us to rely completely on Him. The Apostle Paul, who relied on God, was still tempted to rely on his own strength. And God sent him suffering to remind Paul not to rely on himself, but to rely on God. His power is at work in our weakness. And so that means the most important work that we can do as Christians is the work of prayer. Who we call upon God, help us. Help us grow in Christ. 
Help us spread your kingdom. Help us to persevere in the face of opposition. Help us to rejoice in our trials and thereby persevere in our faith and grow in Christ. And be fervent in prayer because in, in, in praying we are calling upon God to give us the help that we so desperately need. Another angle through which we can view suffering in our lives is found in 1 Peter 4, verses 12-14. through 14. Peter says, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when His glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed, for the Spirit of glory and of God rests on, rest on you. God sends sufferings to us in order that we might long for Him. This world offers so many distractions. There's so many temptations to take our eyes off of Christ. And God sends suffering so that we won't love this world too much, that we'll yearn to be with Him. And there's other uh, aspects for why God sends suffering into our lives. Uh, We don't have time to look at those. I just want to give two very quick applications. First of all, the suffering is worth it. Jesus died on the cross for sinners. He suffered Himself to purchase a people for Himself. And you can know that because He was willing to suffer for you, to become sin for you, that anything you endure for His sake is for your good and is wrapped in His love. Jesus says, take up your cross and follow Him. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, I would say kiss that cross as you take it up. Because He intends those crosses that He sends into your life for your good. His love is worth suffering for. He is worth suffering for. So the first application, the suffering is worth it because He is worthy. Second application I want to give to you in the form of a question. Since suffering is guaranteed for the Christian who wants to spread God's kingdom and who wants to grow in His grace, here's the question. What if we're not suffering for Christ? What if life is all good What does that say about our desire to grow in Christ or to grow His kingdom if we're not suffering? Let's pray together. Almighty God, we do not count it surprising when we suffer as though something strange or unusual or unique is happening to us. For you have granted it us to, us to suffer. Father, we see it even with Paul and Barnabas as they are spreading the kingdom of God, as they are doing your work. They are faced with opposition every moment. Who are we to think that you would treat us any differently? 
God, help us to yearn for the cross and to kiss it as we take it up daily to follow our Lord Jesus Christ. I pray in His name. Amen.